right, everybody. We're going to read the scripture together. We're reading Romans 12. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Oh, I love it. This is awesome. The energy today is beautiful, everyone. Um, we're going to read Romans 12, 9 through 21. Again, Romans 12, 9 through 21. So I'll start with verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Thank you for the Lord's word. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Now, you know, every now and then I just got to say something nerdy to you. So here, here's, here's the nerdy. Nah, I need to promise this is the only thing I'm going to say today. But uh, <laughs> so about a thousand years ago uh, in the church, what was interesting is they had a policy where they actually didn't use instruments. It was only voices. And I think from the end of that last song, I could tell why how encouraging it is to hear other people sing to the Lord. I love that. I, I don't know. Was that powerful, y'all? I felt that when I, when I was here, I was like, yeah, this words is true. You know, <laughs> let's sing together. You know what I mean? So that was, that was encouraging. That was encouraging. Um, so the question I want to pose to you today is, uh, according to this scripture that we're about to look in today, I want you to think, what does worship look like? Now, I just talked about how beautiful us singing together was, but I will propose to you that the majority of the time, at least in the New Testament, when the scriptures are talking about worship, they're not precisely speaking about singing. They're actually talking about how Christians should act towards one another, how they should act towards one another, how they should have fellowship and solidarity with each other, and how they should act towards the, on, the onlooking world, okay? So remember, now, I hope y'all know this. Context is? King. Context is king. Context is king. All right, so what, 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 what is the context of the chapter? We remember uh, in verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to read it in y'all version. We're going to say y'all where it's plural, okay? It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge y'all, 
to present y'all's bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of y'all's mind so that y'all may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so the context of the chapter is how do we offer up ourselves and sacrificial worship to the Lord? And what's interesting is what is absent in this chapter. He didn't say get in the corner and shout, although you can do that. That's fine. Y'all, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, he, he didn't say just sit in the corner and be silent and reflect on the Lord. He, he, didn't, he didn't say that. Uh, he didn't say that just busy yourselves with random things to do. He actually said if you want to live a lifestyle of worship, it has to be in the context of the Christian community serving one another. So it's not that we get in a corner and that is the litmus test of our spiritual maturity. The litmus test of our spiritual maturity is how we interact with one another. Which adds a wrench into how we act because I got to deal with y'all. I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> I'm just playing with y'all. I'm just saying like if it's just about me feeling all, all goosebumpy by myself, I could do that. But actually it involves other people. Many times we use the wrong measurements to determine spiritual maturity. We kind of leave it up to this subjective, inward, emotional sense. Do I feel good about the Lord or do I think the Lord feels good? But the beauty is that God outlines in his word what worship looks like. This is the measuring line. What he says in his word. And what this is saying is that the people of God need to speak the word of God to one another so that we know what it is to live out a lifestyle of worship. So let's look at verse 9. The word of God should produce sincere obedience in our hearts. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. In other words, in the Greek, it says, don't be two-faced. Y'all know what that is. Don't be two-faced. God does not want a two-faced Christianity. He wants a sincere Christianity, which means that we're not just going through the motions of obedience. But here's the deal. When you hear the command of Scripture, and then your, whole, your own heart is kind of like, I, I ain't really good with that. Y'all been there? I'm just me. All right, you hear the command of Scripture, and you're like, I don't know. I don't really feel like that today. Well, what do you do? Because we don't want to be two-faced, right? What do you do? The, the reality is that we need ongoing gospel renewal. We need ongoing gospel renewal. In other words, we need to dedicate ourselves to not just listening to the commands of the text, but we need to say, God, I need you to transform my heart. Like, and, and now when you do get along with the Lord, I'm not against that. You should. That's the focus. Like, like, when my, like when my heart is rubbing up against the command, and I'm like, I don't seem to like that very much. And Lord, I need you to transform me. And how does he do that? Go back to verse 1. In view of the mercies of God. So that, that, that the, 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 one of the things I'm trying to do when I'm getting along with the Lord, when I'm reading the scripture, when I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, help me see your mercies today. Help me to see your love for me today. Help me to, to, to know in, in the, the, the deepest part of my, my person how much you love me. And that, that is the key to gospel and spiritual renewal. It's, it's, it's admitting that we can't just will ourselves into change, but that we need consistent exposure to God's word. And y'all, his word is powerful. 
So he says, don't be two-faced. That means we need to be, we need to be honest with the Lord. Say, Lord, where, where, I, where I have hypocrisy in my heart, where I'm hearing the commands and, and my heart is running against that, Lord, I need you to change that. He's saying that we got to detest what is evil. Not be friends with it. Not, not put it over, under the rug. He says, detest what is evil. What is evil? Again, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record. The scriptures outline what that is, yeah? Now, if y'all been in the church for a minute, you heard of something called the Ten Commandments. That's a, that's a pretty broad outline of what's not okay. <laughs> These are the things that we should not do. So he's saying we, we have to detest our own sin. And remember, this is not simply about detesting somebody else's sin. <laughs> this is primarily about your own. When you see evil at work in your own heart. See, we, we hate evil because we know the damage it causes. We're not Pharisees, but, but, but we, we see that when we sin, it hurts us and those around us. And so we detest it because we, we understand that that sin that hurts us is the same sin that caused Jesus to be nailed on the cross. We detest what is evil. And what I love, it says, it says cling to what is good. The, the idea is this. We have to cling to what is good because in our everyday lives, there are forces trying to rip it from us. Cling to it. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to, to God's word. Hold on to each other. See, we're tempted to let go of what God has said is good. But when we live in the view of God's mercy, we, we kind of get a, a mind shift where it's like we don't make up good and bad arbitrarily. We say, God, what, what do you say? I want to submit to that. Now, here it goes. We're going to get to the degree. The first half of this passage is saying that we have to live out worship with the church, not alone, not isolated. Okay, so in verse 10, we see that we have to treat church as family. It says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Don't wait for somebody to honor you. Does that what it say? No, it said take the lead. Okay, I just want to say that. I didn't even in notes. All right, so when we look at the scriptures, particularly the, the one who penned uh, this letter, Apostle Paul, he had sons and daughters and mothers in the faith. In the beginning of, of 2 Timothy, when he's writing to Timothy, he says, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. When he's writing at the end of this book, at the end of Romans, he's, he's giving his shout outs that he does. Say hi to that person and that person and that person. He says, greet Rufus. That's where that name comes from. Greet Rufus, chosen of the Lord. Also his mother and mine. He says, Rufus' mom was such a good mom that she was like my mama. Now listen, if you treat people like family, I don't have to remind you to honor them. If you realize that because of the blood of Jesus, we have been knit together. That listen, this family, the family of God, y'all, it will outlast your earthly family. That's the family that lasts into eternity. And if, if I view God's people as my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, I will know that, that, that these relationships are, are, are not simply secondary, but I would value and honor my spiritual family. Next, he goes on to say in verse 11 and 12 that we have to encourage one another to serve the Lord. Do not lack in diligence. Excuse me. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Right, I'm going to remind y'all, it's, it's y'all. Okay, y'all do this, not you. Not. So, so what, what it's saying is that we have to hold each other accountable. Hold each other accountable in our seeking the Lord. 
that we encourage each other to be diligent in prayer, that we encourage each other to, to be patient in affliction. And I love the Bible because it gives just practical examples. In the book of Colossians in chapter 4, and I remember, Colossians is written to the whole church. So there's this whole letter supposed to be read to the whole church. In Colossians 4, 17, Paul gives somebody another shout out. He says, and tell Ocrippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Now, I don't know what was going on with Ocrippus, but Paul was like, he needs some extra encouragement. And I know this is a public sermon, but yo, Ocrippus, look, man, do your thing. Stop, don't, don't, don't grow weary. Listen, I, I've had mentors do this for me. Now, I remember when I first came to the Lord, I was, I was, I was very passionate. I was so passionate, I found myself in a meeting with my mama and my youth pastor. And my mom was like, is he supposed to be that excited? Okay, that's, that's how I was. I, I was very excited. I wanted, I wanted to seek the Lord. Now, about two, two years into that, my, 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 my zeal began to wane, and I started playing with some, some secret sins. And so a mentor of mine, he said, hey, man, let's, let's take a road trip. I got to go preach in Atlanta. And I was like, I like road trips. That's what's up. So I get in the car. We drive. We get just far enough, okay, where we can't just turn back. He's like, hey, man, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Here we go. And he addressed my lack of zeal. He addressed that I was not living the way that I had used to. He addressed the sins that were going on in my heart. And I tell you now, he was going to, he was going to preach, right? And so in the worship, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like, I was like, Lord, help me get that zeal back. But, but listen, he was honest enough with me to address when I wasn't living out what God had called me to do. In verse 13, we say that it seems that we're supposed to support one another practically. Verse 13, share with the saints in their need. Pursue hospitality. In the early church, we saw that they had this, this system of caring for the widows. We saw in Acts 6 a couple weeks ago that, that, that they didn't just say that with words. They didn't say, I love you. Uh, and it wasn't just an emotional feeling, but they set up structures so that those who were in need had the support that they needed. You know, I, I, I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit. I don't, I don't get to brag on her a lot. A lot. There, was a, there was a point in time where we had a friend that whose baby was very colicky, was just was crying all the time. And, and the baby didn't sleep a lot. Now, remember, we got three kids, y'all, okay? I was like, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I wasn't feeling. And, 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 she, and she was like, Will, can you watch our kids tonight so that I can go watch their baby and they go sleep in a hotel? Now, in my mind, I was like, hmm. But I, wanted, I was like, well, you feel called by the Lord to do this. I need to support you. And she stayed up all night with these people's babies so they could get a sleep in a hotel. Like it wasn't, it's not, it's not a, 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 an emotional support. It is, it is practical. How can we practically serve one another? In verse 14 and 15, we get this idea that we have to show empathy. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He's saying we got we to gotta share in the emotions of others. Now, that's really nice when people, you know, like you. But what did he say? Bless those who what? Persecute you. How, bless those who, how can, you, how can you do that? Now, I told you, this ain't the only time I'm going to get nerdy with church history. Listen, during a time of extreme persecution in the late 200s, there is this, this Christian named Lactantius. Remember that, just plain. And he was writing, he was writing about a, a particular duty that they would do for everybody. And he says, the last and greatest duty of piety is burial of strangers and paupers, poor people, 
something which those pagan experts in justice and virtue have never discussed. What is in the balance is an idea. We will not therefore permit a creature made in God's image to fall prey to wild beasts and birds. We will return it to the earth whence it came. Unknown to us he may be, but we will fulfill his kinsman's duty. So, so they're in a time of persecution. They're, they're in a time of, of social pressure. And they decide we're not going to let nobody not have a burial, even if they part of the family that persecuted us. We are going to make sure that they have honor and dignity because they are made in God's image. So the church has, has this practice of, of sitting with others in suffering. I don't know if you've ever been there. Sometimes you don't even have the words to say, but you show up anyway. And you're just with them. In verse 16, we get this idea that we have to walk in humility. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now, listen, listen. The litmus test of humility isn't that you said you're humble. (laughs) The litmus test of humility is associating with the humble. Associating with those who don't have upward mobility. We see this in Paul's life in Philemon when he's, he's writing to Philemon's slave owner. And he's writing to free him. And Philemon 1 uh, verses 8 through 10, it says, I appeal to you and stand on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, now as a prisoner of Christ, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Get, that wasn't his blood son, y'all. Onesimus was a slave. And he said, I love this person so much. He is like a son to me. I became his father while I was in chains. Listen, listen, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. He's saying, listen, I know you don't think this guy has a lot to, to contribute. I know you think he's just a slave, but he is my son and he is useful because God will use him. He not just, listen, he's not just saying I'm humble sometimes. Like, no, I'm going to associate with the lowly. He's saying we don't look for the up-and-comers. We intentionally seek those whom our society would overlook. Imagine a church, listen, in which instead of everyone wondering if someone would go speak to them, they sought out those who are new or alone. Too much self-serving, y'all. Stop complaining if somebody don't do something you want and you start serving He's also saying that we got to live out worship together in a hostile world. Look at verse 17. He says that we got to seek to understand the culture you live in. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, listen, we got a lot of we got a lot of Christians that just be angry at people. Right. And something like they don't treat the church right or they ain't giving us. And, 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 and we think that the way to overcome societal pressure is just to be angry back, to, to get a get a good argument and argue back. But Paul says, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So let's, let's keep it real. A lot of times people want to say stuff about the church like they don't do anything. They just want to get in their holy huddles. They just want to judge people, this, that, and the other. And I've come to find that when the church does justice and mercy, it is an apologetic. That when we serve those in our society with needs, instead of trying to argue back, 
with what folks are saying negative. When we serve tangible needs, that is an apologetic. Instead of being defensive, let's just get busy serving others. Let us be known for addressing and serving the pain points of our society. And we try to do that. Like, I want us to be like, 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 like I don't want you to stay in a ethereal world. That's why we serve the school. That, that's, that's why we, we work with foster care and adoption. Like, we, we don't want to be known for just being good arguers or wise philosophers. But, but we want to serve the tangible needs. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't repay down talk with more down talk. We get busy and serve. Verse 18, it says, be at peace. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We got peace twisted. Sometimes we think peace means avoiding everything. We think peace means I, well, I, I might be in a potential conflict with them, so let me not look at them today. That's not, that's not peace, y'all. Peace is addressing conflict directly and graciously. That's peace. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, where they are the sons of God, he wasn't talking about the people who avoid conflict all the time. He was talking about the people who go and address things in order to make peace. Look, there's a time where Apostle Paul, he's standing before this trial, the Sanhedrin trial, this trial and he, he's a little feisty, okay? And it's Acts 23, 1, it says, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias offered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you. You whitewashed wall, you are sitting there judging me according to the law, yet in violation of the law, you are ordering me to be struck. Paul wasn't no punk, y'all. In verse 4, he says, those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? Verse 5 says, oh, I didn't know, brothers, that he was a high priest. <laughs> Reply, Paul, for it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Listen, he's addressing conflict, and they even come, like, you kind of wrong. He's like, oh, yeah, I was wrong about that. Still, though, like, the, the peacefulness wasn't like, I'm just going to go in the corner, not saying. No, the peacefulness is like, let's address the thing. Verse 19 and 20, do not take re- revenge. <laughs> Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you are heaping fiery coals on his head. You're like, well, doggone, fiery coals. Listen, the the way that scripture describes sin is not only wrongdoing, but as blindness. Okay? So sometimes I can be sinning. And I'm not viewing it as I'm doing something wrong, but I'm deeply hurt or I'm blinded. And he's saying, listen, y'all treat others so nice, even those who don't like you. Now, listen, you might you might not know what you're doing, but if a fiery coal hits you in the head, you can be like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Where where am I going today? He's saying, listen, maybe they'll maybe they'll be brought to their senses. Maybe they'll get they'll, they'll snap out of their blindness. He's saying, listen, when you, are in a, when you are in a conflict, you need to understand that you are not the judge. That God himself is the judge. And, and God is a, is a good and just judge. That I don't need to make him do his job better. That he can accomplish it. All right? In verse 21, it says, overcome evil with good. <laughs> do not be conquered by evil, but conquer 
evil with good. And y'all, that is exactly what Christ Jesus did. The evil of our sin, the evil of Satan, the, all, all the religious evil in his day, he conquered it by doing good. Matter of fact, when the apostles summed up Jesus' ministry, it says he went around doing good and freeing all those oppressed by the devil. People are hating on him, and eventually, what, they put him on trial, a faulty trial. He got, he got c- condemned, and eventually he was executed. And it looked like, from everybody's perspective, that he lost. Yeah? When he's on the cross, well, I guess that didn't, he should have came with power. He should have murked some folk. No, nah, no, nah, but in his faithful obedience, in his, his cruciform life, the, the pattern and the, 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 the method of the cross, he shows that that is where the victory is. That, that when I die to myself and that when I show love to the point where even it hurts, that God uses that in some mysterious way to bring about spiritual good. Has he not done that with us? And our sin Listen, we'd be sinning. God just needs to rebuke us. But instead of just rebuking us, he came down and put on human flesh and died on the cross, thereby overcoming our evil with his good. Now, y'all, I try to get applicable. So stay with me now. Stay with me. Sometimes we have such a rosy view of how the scriptures describe community. Like when you're reading that ver- those verses, you're like, oh, man. Church is going to be like everybody loving one another and nobody's lacking diligence and zeal and we're going to rejoice and it's going to be awesome. And we have this very high picture of community. And then when we get into the church community, we're, de- we're disappointed because in reality, community is hard and conflict is guaranteed. Community is hard and conflict is guaranteed. So listen, but let's just have a realistic expectation of what's going to go down when we get closer to each other. That you a sinner, I'm a sinner. We all sinners. I don't know if you know that. And because of that, when we start trying to serve one another and be in each other's lives, somebody's going to say something that upsets you. And you're going to be like, well, I thought we were supposed to, you know, bless those who persecute. No, okay, listen, listen. So what are we supposed to do when our picture of community does not match the reality? Or what are the common obstacles to living out this picture in a gospel-formed family? I told you I'm, getting, I'm getting, trying to get practical, y'all. I think that, let me just, let me let you know what happens. Let's, let's get a picture into the pastor's life. When there is a conflict in the church, it does get to me. <laughs> and usually what happens is, I think so-and-so don't like me. And I'm like, did you talk to so-and-so? No. <laughs> well, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you should talk to them. Do you want me to go with you? No, I don't want to. What do you want me to do? (laughs) This is how it happened. Let's just be real, okay? What happens is people have a lot of assumptions about people without talking to them. And they're trying to read their motivations without asking them why they're doing something. So we got a lot of assumptions and a lot of mind reading going on. Y'all can't read minds, okay? So let's the scenario. Imagine that your friend who usually returns your text doesn't return your text one day. One hour, two hours, eventually a whole day goes by. And you started to wonder if they're angry with you. Maybe they're ignoring you. They probably saw your text and chose not to reply. You assume the worst. That sounds funny, but that happens, y'all. That happens. But listen, listen, all of us, if we are not careful, play the role of mind reader and make assumptions about motivations behind people's behavior. 
And most of the time, if we're not careful, those assumptions tend to be negative. Most of the time, you ain't assuming they just probably busy today. You're like, I probably said something weird to them. Listen, listen. And then we spiral downward by negatively interpreting the behavior of another and making assumptions about what they're thinking. And then these assumptions and interpretations turn into landmines that we just, we just kind of carry a negative kind of, I bet they, they probably have something against me. And so when they say something that isn't like 100% awesome, you're like, oh, probably because they don't like me. We're prone to have expectations, listen, that might not be communicated, agreed upon, or reasonable. I know that, y'all. I'm a pastor. There's a lot of expectations. I'm like, I ain't doing that. We may, not, we may not even realize we have these expectations, but if we're going to learn to love God and others, we have to fight against our tendency to mind read, make assumptions, and have unreasonable expectations. Okay? This is, I'm just getting, listen, so what gets in the way of this awesome, flourishing, spiritual community that loves one another? It's when we hold on to a fence and we make assumptions about people and we have something against our neighbor and we don't speak to them. And then the gulf gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then by the time anybody wants to do anything, you've developed all kinds of negative thoughts about somebody. We need to clarify expectations and communicate graciously to one another. So when you feel slighted, go speak to somebody. Matter of fact, we can't even fulfill some of these examples unless we're comfortable with conflict. If I see somebody who's lacking in zeal and I'm supposed to say something, what's that called? Conflict. It's conflict. Don't just sit in your anger or your bitterness or your sadness. Go talk to somebody. Peter Scazzaro, he's a guy you should read. I ain't got time to talk about him. He describes four problems with many of our expectations. They are often unconscious. So you have expectations. You ain't, you just, they just deep in you. You're not even thinking about it. They're unrealistic. They're unspoken or unagreed upon. Now, back in the day when, uh, when I was in high school and people used to like each other and you'd be like, is that your girlfriend or your boyfriend? And they'd be like, I don't know. I'd be like, you need to have a DTR. Let's define the relationship. You, just, you, need, you need to just go ahead and define that mug. Now, listen, some of y'all need to have some DTRs. <laughs> let's, 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 have some, let's have some clear, open communication. I am receiving you like this. Do you mean to be that way? Just, you just need to talk. So uh, another thing that we have to do is, is, is uh, that, that when we have conflict, we fight dirty. What I mean is this. We have unhealthy habits of dealing with conflict. Let me name some. Sometimes we give people the silent treatment. Uh, sometimes we just avoid them. Uh, sometimes we're passive-aggressive. Sometimes we're condescending. Listen, I'm not making this up. I didn't seen it. <laughs> Here. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Instead of avoiding and silent treatment and being like, you should have known better, you know, and all of that, we need to have direct and calm engagement. There's no real peace without engagement. See, Jesus was willing to bring disruption in order to bring true peace. Jesus didn't avoid conflict or appease people. He didn't ignore tensions or differences. Jesus fought, but he fought cleanly and with integrity. In fact, Jesus teaches that our vertical worship uh, to God is unhealthy if our horizontal relationships are not healthy. 
Listen, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift on an altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the altar, go talk to your brother and sister, and then you can come back. I was, I was reading Leviticus earlier this week because I don't know why, why I was doing that. Anyway, anyway <laughs> the, the idea is that he says, he says there's one like random rule and it says, hey, if you got some anger against your brother or your sister, go speak to him directly. It just says it. So the scriptures say. And so, y'all, if we're going to live this, this picture of community that is loving without hypocrisy, okay? So we're saying what we really think. Loving one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Sharing in people's needs. Associating with the lowly. That means we're going to be open and honest with one another. That's what I want for our church. Some of y'all think Christian maturity is being fake, and it's not. <laughs> it's addressing what needs to be addressed, not in anger and bitterness, but in gentleness. Because perhaps through your gentle engagement, God will bring healing and wholeness to that person and that relationship. So we have an opportunity to reflect the goodness of the gospel in our relationships with one another. So we're going to have to put on our big boy pants, y'all. And we're just going to have to address stuff when it happens with the hope that God will bring healing, with the hope that God will bring true peace, with the hope that God will bring true restoration. That's the opportunity we have, y'all. And if we do that, it can be beautiful and Jesus can be glorified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you would pour out the Spirit on us so that we can interact with each other the way that you want us to. Lord God, I pray that this would be an honest community, a gracious community. And Lord, at times when it needs to be, a direct community. Lord, let us not beat around the bush with one another. But Lord, let us have true love, true peace, so that Christ would be glorified in and through us. Lord, help us to worship you not only in singing, but Lord, in our actions and how we treat one another and how we treat people who would even be our enemies. Would you give us Christ-likeness that we will be, um, let us be conformed into your image. Lord, we need your help. We're saying that we can't do it without you. So please come and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.